Let us turn to Genesis 34 for this message this morning, Genesis 34. And I'll read verses 1 through 8, but um, then make references to the rest of the chapter and even to the next chapter, 35, as we consider this point. So beginning to read with Genesis 34, verse 1. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this young woman as a wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with the livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. Then Hamor, the son, the father of Shechem, came out, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by laying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife and make marriage with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters to yourselves. So you shall dwell with us and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it and acquire possessions for yourselves in it. Then Shechem said to her father and her brothers, let me find favor in your eyes. Uh, and uh, whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me, uh, ask me ever so much dowry and gift, and I will give according to what you say to me. But give the young woman as a wife. May the Lord bless this reading to our, our good understanding. Now this is one of the this is one of the strangest chapters in the Bible, in a sense, because it talks about a very ugly sin, something that uh, normally people are almost too embarrassed to talk about, the idea of rape, where uh, by uh, a man imposes himself upon a woman sexually without... Uh, due process without some there are levels or degrees of violence involved in this in this case it was it was one of the less violent cases or degrees but nonetheless you can see the way the brothers react and the father that it was uh, most disagreeable we'll consider all the some of the ramifications all of the ingredients of this and that sort of thing but uh, I, I bring this to you and preach about it because uh, some of us will be, uh, or, or friends, will be exposed to this in our lives. Uh, we, we think to ourselves, oh, the family of God couldn't possibly go through something like this. This is way outside of our expectations because we're Christians and, we're, you know, we don't, we don't frequent or we don't associate in such a way that this could come upon us. Well, this chapter is a bold and brash reminder to ourselves that the world is an evil place. And that these things happen. If we say it couldn't happen to us, then the, the amazing thing is 
But how in the world did it happen to the most godly family that was alive in the world at that time? Jacob's family. There was no other, there was no other association. There was no other church, in a sense, going other than that church that was uh, that was working in the midst of, of Jacob and Isaac, his father, uh, some few miles away. And yet it was this family, the family of God, that was assaulted by uh, the world, if you think in broad strokes, the world sexually. Not just assaulted philosophically or not just assaulted uh, with threats of violence, but assaulted sexually. We see what the, the goal here was in this case. That was to um, do what people want to do today. It was for everybody just to merge together. For there to be no church of Christ anymore, or no, no, we could say no Christ or no Antichrist, but just have everybody uh, in the diversity of their ways, the diversity of their faith, just, just have everybody merge together to assimilate together into one common group of mankind. But we see from this story that that is not to be. <coughs> that God considers the faith and anti-faith to be two divergent groups of people. The only way that faith can merge with anti-faith, the only way that Christ can merge with anti-Christ is if Christ gives up his mantle of truth and holiness and we know that that will not come to pass. Christ will never become, will never make a concert or treaty with anti-Christ. So the only outcome of this Lost, and I speak of the lost both philosophically and sexually. The only outcome of this law, law, lost will be our loss. It's like the train of Christ keeps chugging along. It keeps tra tra traveling along through history. It stays on the tracks. We can jump off the train, but that does nothing to the train. The train keeps going. When we set ourselves on these kinds of dreams or fantasies of assimilation, of uniting ourselves with the world of unbelief. The only losers are ourselves. And years later, we will cry and make lament that we were so foolish as to give up our birthright and uh, think that we could possibly make a treaty with the world of unbelief. Well, the, the question uh, arises when we think of these things. Um, what, what do we make of them? Why me? If, if this happens in our family, what do we do? Do we, do we basically give up living? Do we, do we say to ourselves, if God has allowed this to happen to me or my daughter, my children, my wife, is this a sign that I should just give up? It's so horrible. Uh, it's such an assault upon our sense of holiness that I just can't live, uh, can't keep living. And this is what we're, this is what we're faced with, brothers and sisters. If we, if we uh, have, the, if we uh, have developed the kind of Christianity that makes no place or no allowance for for chapter thirty-four of Genesis, we will be in very 
bad training for this world. In this world, this world is a world of violence. Adam and Eve took the truth of God and with violence were seduced by Satan. They were raped in a sense by, by Satan and that began a long series of violence. As soon as their family got going, what happened? Cain rose up and slew his brother Abel. This world is a world of violence. And we cannot cultivate our minds that do not make allowance for this or you do not understand this or have not worked this out in terms of how we're going to deal with it. None of us like to think of bad things like this happening. None of us like to think of bad things. We just, we, we, they're, they're hard to imagine. And uh, no matter what preparation we've made about it ahead of time, it, it uh, doesn't work. Uh, in terms of being easy, uh, we, you can, we can make an analogy now, and I'll continue this analogy throughout the whole sermon, to, between the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, which is, uh, which is the, the, the ethical, ethical heading of this whole category of ethics or morality. We will make a comparison between that, the seventh commandment, and the sixth commandment. The sixth commandment says, thou shalt not kill. And these two are very close together. The one is a killing of the flesh. The other is a killing of the heart. When we commit adultery or when we rape and pillage and these kinds of things, it does something, we, we continue to live. It doesn't, it's not like a, an arrow or a bullet in the heart, the physical heart, but it is like a heart or like a bullet in the heart of our of our spiritual heart. That's why in our presbytery we had a case of this awful case of molestation in the presbytery out in Indi over in Indiana, and uh, many of the people in the church were were because of the horror of it. It involved uh, dozens and dozens, over a hundred cases of sexual molestation. And when these things broke out, the, the, the natural reaction of people, the inclination, the instinct of people was to say, let us get over this and get around this and get through this by Christ. That sounds like a, a lovely thing to do. But one of the ways, one of the aspects of living lives by Christ is to, is to take, uh, take seriously what has happened. And when the, we know when Somebody is physically murdered. We know that the body has to be buried. We know that we have to have a funeral. We know that we have to console the family and watch them for the, the next few years to try to, to make sure that they're doing okay. Well, what of sexual sin? What of this murder of the heart? Well, there was a, a minority of the presbytery, probably a third of the men that just thought that getting over this was more important than being careful with what had happened, really owning up to what had happened, asking why have, why have these things happened in our midst, and then making every effort to carefully deal with them. Sometimes the best thing, and Jesus or the prophets warned about this, uh, they, they preached about healing the, the, uh, the, the wound of my people too quickly or too easily. So, the whole point of Christianity is not simply to heal the wounds. We, we do want to heal wounds, but sometimes we need to be careful with how we deal with them. And so 
Um, in terms of rape, with the first point of the message here in your outline, we see that the crime of rape is radical, profane, toxic, and generic. And when I, I use each of these words, really covers a different a different uh, area of thought. I'm going to go through them really big, quickly. But w- what's radical about it? Well, God create what? It's a, it's a, a radical rebellion against the way God made us. It's shaking our fist in the face of God and saying, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you call special. I don't care what you call holy. I have my own desires, and I'm going to obtain those by force if need be. See, God created us. He created Adam and Eve to love each other, to be tender with each other. He he created them to look upon each other as really holy and special, so unique. And if we take the things that are special and we treat them in a profane way, as if they were nothing, as if they, they really weren't holy or they really weren't special, then we really make offense against God. And one of the ways he created us, he, he gave us bodies he gave us, in the, in the case of creation, he gave us different bodies. He created us male and female, didn't he? And, and both the female body and the male body are special and are unique. And one of the beauties of them is that when they come together in marriage, they can have children. They can express their love sexually. And, and the sexual love then issues forth in another generation and then another and another and another. And God's commands in Genesis, he said, he made the male and female that they made, that they might uh, come together and create children, have children, and then populate the earth and subdue it through their children who would become followers of the Lord themselves. And so this is such a unique and a special thing. Why is it then that mankind uh, glories in treating things that are special, these bodies of ours, the, these, the holiness of our bodies, why is it that mankind gets off on or, or finds it exciting to transgress that holiness, to treat the holiness as if it were nothing? You know, the, the, uh, the, the, the 20th century and the 21st century are one of the great delusions that we have is, has to do with sexual profligacy or promiscuity, uh, the idea that that uh, uh, it's fine to have more than one wife, or to to have one wife and go have an affair with another man's wife, or the wives to have one husband and go have affairs with other men, and you get right you right away instead of these people, instead of these roles being special for us and unique and holy. It's like we just throw them down in the dirt. They're nothing. And um, when the prophets spoke condemning Israel, sometimes they compared them. They compared the Israelites to camels and donkeys that were in heat, that were just chasing each other and trying to fornicate with each other without any awareness of, of what they were and where they come from. Well, you see, God created us in one way, and then man's sinful heart takes him in another way. It's a radical rebellion against the order of God. So the, the crime of rape is one of the worst kinds of, um, of uh, 
of uh, sexual sin. It's not just consensual, but it involves uh, uh, inappropriateness of force or um, uh, uh, in this case with, uh, with these two kids, uh, they were younger, but uh, they, were, they, were, they definitely crossed some lines. When we find, when the story ends toward the end of the scripture, we see that Dinah, that Shechem has taken Dinah to his home. We don't know what the situation is there. He wants to marry her, so he doesn't consider them them married yet, but yet he has taken her, and she's not with her family. And so she, in effect, when the boys boys get everybody circumcised here in in Shechem, uh, and all the Hiverites circumcised and then go and kill them, when that happens... That's when they, they get their sister back. So you get a sense of the fact that um, there was some consensuality here between these two younger people. But nonetheless, there was also a real violence to the order, to the tribal order, and to certainly the, um, the, um, the order of faith that was alive in that day. And so it's, it's, it's a radical upheaval of the way God created things. It's certainly profane. It takes things that are special and holy and unique and just makes them as if they were nothing. Instead of marrying, instead of asking for this girl's hand first, and then if that worked out marrying her, uh, Shechem just took her uh, by um, by some kind of force and uh, kept her at his, his house. And uh, it's toxic in the sense of... Uh, when things are toxic, they're poisonous. And so uh, as this developed, it was very toxic. It, it brought, it brought uh, mayhem to these two societies. And it's, uh, it's generic in the sense that it's a, it's, it, it fits in with a genus, a genus of behavior. When we think of categorizing things in science, we think of genus and species. This, this violence of rape, is uh, just uh, something that really shows a totally different way of life. Uh, last week, there was a woman running in Central Park, or no, no, not Central Park. It was it was a fancier part of New York City, and uh, and she was grabbed by a fellow. He he had been arrested for these things before, and and other other uh, uh, felonies. And he, he just grabbed a stranger, just grabbed her, took her into an alley, raped her, beat her up. She didn't die, thankfully, but her life is never going to be the same. This is a ger- ger- generic kind of, a, of an assault. It, it fits in with a whole different way of life. And it shows how in America today, we have, we have come, we've become a nation where these kinds of things can be done where somebody can just be grabbed, grabbed and then sexually molested and imposed upon, it's a totally different way of life. It's a violence that, that is almost unimaginable. So uh, rape is a crime in, in, in whatever degree it takes place. Now, in this case, there are mitigating circumstances that are very strange. Uh, we today, when we try to think through these things, we're great at, at looking at the mitigating circumstances to almost every crime. 
and then allowing those, if, there, if we see mitigating circumstances, then we say that the crime is okay or that the crime is not as bad as it ought to be, that we shouldn't really consider it cr criminal. Right now, we, we are letting out of jail in America, letting out of jail. There are proposals to let out half of the, half of the violent felons that are in our prisons. And the party that wants to do that thinks, thinks that that's okay because there are mitigating circumstances. In this case, we see that uh, both Shechem and Dinah were both young. Now, we believe that Shechem was older than Dinah, but uh, nonetheless, they were, they were younger. Um, it was a qualified violence. He didn't just grab her and force her. Uh, she, went, she went to visit the daughters of Shechem, evidently alone, which was not a good idea. Uh, and uh, we see later on that the, the Bible says here that as as uh, Hamor, his father, comes and speaks with the speaks with Jacob and his people, he tell he explains about how uh, Shechem really loves his daughter. That, that this is a, in the notes I, I mentioned Hivite love, so that this is not simply uh, a case of of, of a, a hateful rape. It's a more of a lustful rape. It's a desire to have her regardless of what anyone might say. And so you can see that there are qualifications here, but in the way the brothers react and the way the father reacts, you, you, you realize that something very, very evil has been done. There's been a real transgression. A transgression like somebody just drives their car onto your front lawn or something. You say, wait a minute, why has somebody got their car on my front lawn? That's not right. My, this is my property, and cars are meant for the street. Why would you drive your car up on my front lawn and leave it there? Well, that's the kind of, of, uh, of uh, 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 crazy thing that, that we see happening here, uh, yet um, uh, it's just completely disagreeable with the way that things ought to be. And so both Jacob, Jacob realizes it's wrong, but doesn't say anything. He, he's considering what ought to be done in his mind, even as Hamor comes to tell him about this. And when the boys come in, they don't, they don't go crazy right away. But the Bible is very clear that in their hearts, they realized that uh, this was really bad. Uh, if we look then to the third point, which is, well, you know, we see that Shechem has done very badly here by raping Dinah. But what about Jacob and his sons? Uh, they use dissimulation, deception, and lethality to kill, to wipe out the city where this came from. And some people today, would, they're happy to take the other side and accuse God and God's people of wrong because they have a different value system. Our value system starts with God and says he is the one holy one. All of our other values proceed from that love that we have of him. But if people don't love the Lord, then they're willing to introduce all kinds of foreign notions into the ethics of their, that they're working on. And almost anything is justified. In the end, uh, Antichrist and hell are justified by the way that they think. And that's what we found today. We uh, in America, we were we've been encouraged to be more liberal with our thinking. And what has that brought us today? Well, it's brought us to 
has brought us to uh, rapes in public places, has brought, brought us to uh, a day where gangs of people, sometimes by the hundreds, will go into stores and just pilfer and steal. And the, the clerks, the four or five clerks that are left there, they, have no, they can't do anything about it. And so the swarm comes in and swarms out, and the store is ruined. And many stores are shutting down now in our inner cities because of uh, the uh, commercial raping of their premises. Well, how did these things happen, or why did they happen? Well, they happened because of uh, two di completely different value systems clashing together. And uh, with, Jacob's, uh, with Jacob and Jacob's sons, we see in verse um, 27, where they, they convince, well, before that, they convince, they have a plan right from the start to get everybody in the city to be circumcised, uh, which is an operation that is very painful, especially as an adult, when babies are circumcised normally in Judaism and, and today in our medical approach. Uh, babies are circumcised, and it's not very painful for the babies uh, in their infancy, but by the time you get to be a, an adult man to be circumcised, it's excruciatingly pain, painful, and uh, it, this tends to reach its crescendo about the third day. And so uh, Jacob's sons convinced these guys to get circumcised in order that they said, we, we could not possibly imagine giving our sister to you in marriage unless you were circumcised. And of course, you wouldn't want to be circumcised. Well, th this was part of their plan. And Shechem and the, re and the rest of them are convinced, yes, if we get, if, uh, if, uh, if we get circumcised, then we can have your women and you can have our women. We'll just be one happy family as we give each other to each other in marriage. But uh, uh, we know that this was not all a good idea. We know that uh, in verse 23, it gives you the, what's going on in the mind of the uh, Hivites. Uh, Hamer and his son Shechem says, will not, will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? So in other words, they have an ulterior reason for these marriages. They, they see the wealth of Israel as it comes, it comes to them in this migratory way, and they want to obtain that, and they're gonna, they, their plan is to obtain it by marriage to, get to, in, to increase their numbers and their strength as a people by marrying into their family. And uh, this has sexual overtones also. It's, it's kind of like we often, in terms of our, our sexual attractiveness, we often look more uh, attractive to when the, the stranger person or the, the different person looks more attractive to one, per, one party or one group than the other. And so they look across, the, it's like the pastures, you know, one pasture, the other guy's pasture always looks better than yours. And so, uh, but it all begins with the idea, with the, the failure to recognize that we are the people of God, that we're supposed to maintain a distinction and a uniqueness before the Lord. And so it's, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be right to do that. Um, when the brothers get together uh, and they get the, uh, they get the guys to be circumcised, verse 26 and 27, it says that <clears throat> they killed Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword, and they took Dinah from Shechem's house, 
and went out, the sons of Jacob came upon the slain, uh, plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, and their donkeys, what, and what was in the city, and what was in the field, and all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, they took captive and they plundered even all that was within their houses. Now Jacob sees this and he's troubled. Um, he says he, he's, he's concerned about being made obnoxious amongst the inhabitants of the, of the land, among the Canaan of the other Canaanite tribes and the Perizzites. And he says, since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed and my household and my household and I. Uh, the brothers said to him, should he treat our sister like a harlot? So you have this conversation that's going on within Israel. Uh, Jacob is concerned. He's not, he, he knows that something very wrong has been done, but he's afraid to right the wrong as the brothers have done it. And the brothers are more incensed in their youthful uh, personalities, I guess. They're more incensed just about the horror of what's been done, that these people, because they, they, I don't think the brothers were theologically uh, theological masters or, or the most mature uh, that they could be, but they really understood something about the uniqueness of Israel and the fact that this should not, should never have been done. And so they devised the scheme. Does that excuse the rape of Dinah? Of course not. The way the Bible portrays this here, um, God does not spare his own children from sin's horror, but neither does he uh, excuse the evil that was done against them. And as they leave this area, as they, they continue their migration more toward Isaac and his people, um, the Lord said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, that's where Isaac was, and dwell there and make an altar there to the Lord who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your gods. There was a, there was a degree with which it appears Israel, J Jacob's clan, had already begun to be diluted in their uh, holy desires to be Christians in that day. And so Jacob challenges them to put away anything like this that they've picked up. Purify yourselves and change, change your garment, 35.2. Then verse 3, then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way that I've gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the Tenebinth tree, which was, which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, verse 5 it says, and the terror of the Lord was upon the cities that were all around them. And they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So in that you get the, you get the um, disposition of the Lord. You get God's opinion. We can discuss this thing, we can turn it about, we can roll it about, we can debate it. But in the end, we see that God did not allow them to be destroyed by uh, this treachery to evil, to, to Satan's people. But he blessed them. And as they went forward, he put a horror and a fear in the lives of the other Canaanite tribes 
the lands through which they were going, they were, they were uh, traversing. So God worked by his Holy Spirit to protect his people and to protect Dinah and to protect the brothers and ultimately to bring them into this land that would be their own and uh, endow them in, in his way. Uh, we human beings have a seemingly an, a boundless capacity to use our minds against the Lord, to justify evil and to condemn the good. And in this case, that this was not a place where there was national law or anything like that. This was a place that was kind of like what we call the wild frontier. And in that case, uh, uh, God blesses the the uh, incendiary passion of the brothers by, uh, by their rescue of Dinah and by their uh, by their destroying the parent um, the uh, the Hivite culture there. Um, which had uh, cultivated this rape and uh, and accepted it and uh, allowed it to happen uh, by their lusts and their desires. So we see lastly that God did not spare his own children from sin's horror, but he, uh, he kept them through it. He allowed them to be preserved through it. And so I would say in, in application here, in closing, Brothers and sisters, we must not cultivate a fairy tale like worldview in our eyes about the Canaanites, about the Hivites. We cannot pretend to ourselves that they're just the same as we are, that we ought to assimilate together with them, and that, that uh, uh, assimilation, that diversity, will be a real blessing. No. Uh, the blessing is in sanctity and in holiness and in loving the Lord our God with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our minds. And as we rear our children, in terms of the family, when we rear our children, we must emphasize the fall, sin, the consequences of sin, violence, and how we will be exposed to it. And we must seek to uh, to avoid ungodly violence at all cost ourselves and to define violence in terms of what is justified and what is not justified not by our passions not by what's in our hearts what offends us the whole question is what offends the Lord and what offended the Lord was having his people begin to mate with the Canaanites and lose their distinctiveness and lose their love of God and wander away as, uh, as, uh, by, by getting diluted and uh, disappearing from the face of the earth. So we must make a great distinction between good and evil, between Christ and Antichrist, between Israel and Sodom or Shechem, whatever the case may be. And we must consider that holiness to be something very special. And we should pray then to the Lord to be merciful unto us and allow us to avoid these things like rape and murder, assault, and these kinds of things which happen in the world all too easily. Let us seek Christ and avoid Antichrist. Our Father and our God, we pray that 
you would protect us and this violent world today and allow us to keep ourselves pure and to esteem purity of heart. Bless us, O Lord, as thou wouldst carry us along on this pilgrimage. Protect us. We, in so many ways, we compare with Jacob's tribe in that, that day. We never feel like we have uh, enough numbers to protect ourselves from the assault of the world and from the anger and the hatred of the world. But we pray, O oh Lord, that you know that you are God. So we pray that you would be, be with us. We pray that you would protect us in our day partially through this tale and through this account. That you would help us to be forearmed. That our, our, we would know that our lives would not be totally ruined by such things if we only held on to and kept thy name and thy greatness before our eyes. Bless us, O Lord, in the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his gospel, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.